If you missed it, my name is John. I'm one of our worship leaders here. So good to have you all with us this morning at Flourishing Grace. We have been in a series called Redeeming Rest, uh, where we've gotten to learn a little bit about Sabbath. And uh, man, Sabbath is one of those things that we either take really seriously. Um, we see that in the case of the Pharisees and the Gospels, or we just don't practice at all. And so uh, this series has been really informative to me, and I've learned a lot from it. And uh, man, just really learning how to practice Sabbath, the act of just stopping and slowing down and considering God. And I know that the word Benjur has for us this morning is going to help us do that. And so uh, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4 this morning, uh, Hebrews chapter 4. So um, I think that's 1104 not 11-4. There's no such page in the Blue Bible. 1104 in the Blue Bible. So if you don't have a Bible, you can go ahead and grab the one under the seat in front of you. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And as you're turning there, uh, man, here at Flourishing Grace, we believe that uh, this word that God has given us, the Bible, is authoritative over our lives. We, are align, we align our lives to it and not the other way around. And so in honor and reverence of it, would you stand as we read this? Again, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, this is what it says. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he is somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, John. It's good that I was able to make it on time. Um, again, if we haven't met, my name is Benjamin, one of the pastors here at Flourishing Grace. Uh, I'm glad to be here with you this morning. Um, we, we have been in this series called Redeeming Rest, and uh, this is the last week in the series. And so if you're here for the first time today, um, I'm going to do my, my best to get you caught up really, really quickly. Um, because today, as, as we wrap up the series, what we're going to be talking about is through Sabbath and rest um, is really the, the, the reason why we can do those things. And, and if you come in and this is the first time you've heard this and you're hearing these words called Sabbath and um, maybe this brings up some, some mental images for you, let me just tell you this much. It's not, a, it's not really about uh, whether or not you can cut your grass on Sundays. What we've been talking about is really two things over the last number of weeks. First of all, that because of who God is, 
because of um, how he instituted a day of rest in his creation and, and who he is. And, and by the way, when God rested, we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks ago when we started this series. When God rested, it wasn't because he was tired or because he couldn't do anymore. Um, I don't know about you, but when I, when I rest, sometimes it's because I have to. It's not a choice, but it's because, man, I've just, I've just got to sit down for a while or I've got, to, I've got to go to sleep or I've got to take a nap. God is not that way. When it says that God rested from his works after he created the world, the six days of creation, when, when he rested on that seventh day, it was like taking a step back in, in satisfaction at a job well done. It is because who God is that, that we can rest. And, and the second thing that we've talked about is really this. It's, it's who God created us to be. You and I were created with limits. I, I don't like to admit that. Anybody else not like to admit that you have limits? Yeah? Anybody here, I mean, this, this is like out of bounds. I didn't plan on this. But anybody here um, have a, a, an argument with a friend or a spouse or, or a significant other about resting this week and about how, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I can just keep going. Anybody? Is that just my house? Excellent. You're just going to leave me hanging here. Excellent. Um, we were created with limits. God, God made us finite being. It is God who is infinite, and it is we who have limits. And so because of that, God wove into the rhythm of not just creation, but through the history of Israel and, and continuing on through Jesus in the early church, God wove in these rhythms of rest because we were made not to be limitless, but we were made to be dependent on on God. Who we are in identity comes through God himself. And so when we rest, really what we are doing is we are submitting ourselves to God and we're saying, okay, I can't do it all. I, I, I just can't because I wasn't created to be that way. It is God who sustains everything, not me, so I can stop. Now here's the problem with all of this in our day and age as we talk about resting and what this looks like, uh, whether we're talking about uh, a Sabbath day where, where we take part in, in joy and rest and worship. And it's not just about taking a nap, but it's really resting in who God is and who he created us to be. Whether we're talking about that or just not completely going 60 hours a week and, and, and never stopping. The issue is many, many of us don't experience this in our world. There's many reasons why we feel restless, literally lacking rest. Some of those reasons are external. So as we've been talking about this idea of Sabbath and rest, a couple of, let me tell you what happened a couple of months ago. Um, I decided to take a week, really four days, of just rest, of just rest. I, I wasn't going to be here at my, my day job. I was going to rest. Now, this is really hard for me because I'm terrible at resting. Um, thankfully, my wife is not in this gathering right now to say amen to this, but I'm really terrible at this. Um, and the other reason it's hard is we have five kids, and so if I take a break from my day job, do you know who doesn't get a break from her day job of taking care of five kids? Yeah, Jennifer, Right? So it's very hard for me. There's, there's a little bit of guilt involved, but I was like, okay, I, I've been going really hard. There was a season of just a, a lot going on here at Flourishing Grace, and so I'm going to stop. The first day went fine. On Monday, we have these, these things called Jesus Days that, that we are to take as a staff once a month where we just, we just take a day and we spend time with Jesus. And, and just like every other day this winter from November to April, it snowed that day, so it messed with a little bit of my plans, but I found a coffee shop, I found a library, and, and I was just still. And it worked out pretty well. 
And then the next day comes around. Actually, I didn't even get to Tuesday. In the middle of the night, late, actually earlier that morning, um, our six-year-old Kaylee started throwing up. Now, if you know Kaylee, this isn't really actually all that unusual of an occurrence. But the problem on this day was, as I'm, I'm trying to take this week of rest, is she wouldn't stop throwing up. Just, just wouldn't, like 15, 20 minutes until there was nothing left to give. I'm sorry to be a little bit so graphic as you're drinking your coffee, but, but that's just that's parenting, okay? This is just what happened. And so um, I said, well, at least I'm off today. Uh, I can take a little bit of time, and, and of course, I'll, I'll be the one to take her into the doctor, and, and Jennifer can do her things. I'm not going to be like, sorry, I'm resting. You know, I can't take my sick care of my sick daughter. Um, and so take her in, give her some medicine. Uh, they say, okay, this, this might be a virus, might be something else, but let's give her some medicine because she really won't stop throwing and just would not stop. Take her home, stops for a little while, but would not stop until uh, about seven or eight that night. And Jennifer finally took her into Primary Children's Medical Center into the ER because it was clear that she was dehydrated and they were there for, for most of the night early on to the next day. I mean, crazy. So Tuesday's shot. Wednesday's shot, and then I was actually going back to the text thread. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but I completely forgot everything that happened. On Thursday of that day, uh, I was looking through to make sure I had all my details right, and I was like, oh, I forgot that happened. Text Jennifer, how was your appointment? Well, nothing that surgery won't fix. Oh, so that, that happened that week, and then a little bit later on that afternoon, I text her, hey, call me as soon as you're done talking to AAA. Oh, that happened that week, too. The, the car was on, the, her van was on the side of the road in Main Street in Kaysville, so, so I went there. Just completely shot pretty much the whole week. Now, I don't, I don't say this to complain, just to point out, I think some of you feel the same way. What we experience in this world is this difficulty to rest because life happens. Even when we make the choice, man, I'm going to stop, External circumstances make it difficult to rest. But if we're honest, internal, internal circumstances make it difficult for us to rest. Here, here are some, some things that are internal that make us difficult to rest, that make us literally rest less. Worry, our minds are in the future, right? Anybody ever live in the future so much that, that, that you have difficulty resting or just sitting still in the present because your mind is in the future? Endless activity. We were never meant to stop on a dime. And so if you think, man, I'm going to take one day of rest and you just go hard all week, 12 hours a day, and you never stop. We are not meant to stop on a dime. And so you finally get to a point where you stop, but you're just buzzing with activity. Um, the inability to be still, the inability to be still, have you ever waited in a doctor's office or stood in line at a grocery store, didn't have your phone or didn't take your phone out and you look around? Man, everybody's on their phone. We have an inability just to sit still for a few moments and not have something else occupying our mind, occupy our minds or occupy our, our thoughts. Grief. Grief. Sometimes we have experienced loss. And so instead of living in the present. We live in the past because of what we have lost, because of where our heart is. All of this makes us rest less. And, and here's where I'm going with this. If we talk about, okay, take time to rest, or even take a day to Sabbath, and we talk about some of these spiritual practices, but our souls are restless. Our souls are lacking rest. Man, it's going to make it impossible to actually stop. Um, John Mark Comer says this, Ultimately, nothing in this life apart from God can satisfy our desires. 
Tragically, we continue to chase after our desires ad infinitum. The result, a chronic state of restlessness, or worse, angst, and anger, anxiety, disillusionment, depression, all of which lead to a life of hurry, a life of busyness, overload, shopping, materialism, careerism, a life of more, which in turn makes us even more, there's that word, restless. And the cycle spirals out of control. Listen, we all are restless in some way, whether we, we can admit it or not, and all of us seek rest in some, some ways. Um, in my generation, uh, I, I'm kind of at the tail end of the generation X. In, in my generation, I find a lot of people my age are a little bit older. I mean, the, the finish line is retirement. We, we go, go, go. We work, work, work. We are restless so that one day we can stop. There's this like hope of rest in the future. We can't experience it now, but if I can earn, if I can attain my own financial security, one day I'll be able to rest. Um, romantic relationship, right? Many of us say, if I could just finally meet that guy, meet that girl, I would finally experience rest. If I could just meet that person and get married, then in that life of marriage, it'll be so wonderful. I'll just experience nothing but just restfulness all the time. Why did I, why did I hear some chuckles there? I don't know. Man. Yeah, it never completely fulfills our rest. Accomplishments. This is where I am uh, and where I spent most of my early life, is if I could just accomplish enough, then I will feel okay. I, can, I feel like enough. Or we just numb it. If we're honest, we just numb it. We say, okay, I'm not going to think about that. I feel restless. I, I, I feel like I'm missing something. I, I feel like man, I, I just am never enough, and so I'm going to watch something or consume something. I'm going to shop for something. I'm going to do all of this until I finally can experience that rest. Here is what we are looking for. We are looking for that moment where we can breathe and in some way be enough or be safe. And friends, everything that we have talked about, this is why we're talking about the why today here at the end, because everything that we have talked about, none of it makes any sense if we can't just stop enough to be safe, to be enough. Let me tell you where we're going today. Only Jesus can satisfy the rest that you crave. Now, I realize as I say that, there may be some of you in this room who've, who've come in, you've been invited, maybe you were lured by the enticement of a free uh, blacksmith gift card, I don't know, maybe somebody promised you brunch, uh, or maybe you're here and, and you've been joining us for a little while, but you're not sure where you are with Jesus. You're not sure about who this Jesus is, and you've got a lot of questions, and so when I say that, that only Jesus can give you the rest that you crave, you say, wow, I, I'm not really sure about that, and I get that, and I get that, but let me, let me just point something out. All of us pursue rest from something. All of us pursue, man, I'm, I'm okay, from something. All of us pursue, I'm enough, from someone or something. And whatever you are pursuing that rest from that's not Jesus, you will be, that, that, that thing or that person will disappoint you every single time. It may take a long while, but if you look back over your life, we, we typically, and this is my story, we go from thing to thing and person to person trying to satisfy our rest when really it is Jesus alone who can satisfy us. The rest that we crave is found in Jesus. Now, if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, I would imagine this, that there are times in your life where you've experienced periods of restlessness 
And the moments and the seasons where you pursue rest from something other than Jesus, other than your Savior, man, it has not gone well. It has not gone well. The rest that you crave is found in Jesus. So, um, grab your, your Bible that you have, open it back up to, uh, what is it, 11 4, 11.04. Excellent. And, um, uh, and we're going to be in Hebrews 4. Now, we heard our passage earlier today in Hebrews, and I want to quickly just simply understand the author's argument and then pull a few things out, right? Because the author of Hebrews, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. Some people think it's Paul. Some people think that Paul delivered a sermon at some point in time and somebody else was there taking notes. Uh, Some people think it might have been Apollos or somebody else. We don't know exactly who wrote Hebrews because they don't identify themselves. And so when I talk about Hebrews, I'm going to talk about the author of Hebrews. Um, And here is the argument. The author of Hebrews basically goes through the whole book proclaiming that Jesus is better because the author of Hebrews is writing to Jewish people, to people who would identify with the the Israelite people about how looking back on the history of Israel, the culmination of all the hopes and expectations of the Jewish people, of, of the people of Israel, everything found in what we would call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, the fulfillment of all of that is found in Jesus alone. That, that, that is the argument um, of, of Hebrews, literally, that Jesus is better. And so, as we get to this section on rest, um, the author of Hebrews is doing a couple of things. First of all, uh, making an argument that the Israelite generation that was rescued out of Egypt, all right, if, if you've never read that, think Prince of Egypt, the, the wilderness generation that was rescued out of Egypt never actually experienced the rest that God promised them. God said, I am going to send you into a land of rest. I'm going to send you into a promised land. And after God rescued the Israelites, after he rescued that generation through the ten plagues and brought them through the Red Sea and just incredible stuff where they were stuck at the Red Sea and yet the Egyptian army behind them and like, what are we going to do? We don't, we don't even have weapons. And God parts the Red Sea and sends them through. And then when the Egyptians try to go through, the Red Sea closes on them. I mean, incredible, miraculous stuff. And then when they're hungry, God provides um, this, this dew that turns into this kind of flour that they can make into bread that they can eat. I mean, just incredible stuff how God has provided for them again and again and again. And then when finally they wander through and they get up to the edge of the promised land, and God says, this is where I'm going to send you. And they they bring in spies into the promised land and they check it out. And then they come back and they say, man, this place is full of giants. These are scary people. And, And they come to a point where most of the wilderness generation, most of those people of Israel, after all that God has brought them through, brings them to this point, and they say, God has not brought us through to rescue us. God has brought us through to murder us. That that was their message. That was their message. And so the author of Hebrews says, they never actually experienced that rest because they didn't trust God. They They didn't trust what God had already done in their lives, and they didn't trust that God could handle this problem in front of them. Second thing that he just says is this, that because they never experienced that rest, this promise of rest still stands. Yes, eventually the next generation of Israelites would go into the promised land, but this promise of rest still stands. It talks about how David talks about this day to day, that the people of God have this rest, and then he goes in and talks about the nature of this rest. And this is why, what we are going to talk about today, how we can find rest in Jesus. So, first thing I'm going to pull out of this, we're going to pull out two things. First thing I'm going to pull out is that the rest that Jesus offers is better. Uh, If you look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, this is what the author of Hebrews says. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest 
So then there remains a Sabbath, Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Um, this, is, this is what he is saying. This is what the author is saying. There is another rest that is available. And then he describes what that rest is. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Whoever has entered God's rest rests from his works as he did from his. A couple things. This is a future rest and this is a present rest. Right? When we talk about eternal rest, which is a phrase that kind of gets thrown around, what that means is not some sort of future far off, if I can just deal with things now, then one day God has some sort of reward for me in the future. No, no, no. What he's talking about is this is a rest that we can experience now and just continues on for eternity. It will never, ever be taken away from us. Now, he talks about how God rested. This doesn't mean that when we rest, we are going to nap for eternity. No, 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 no. What he is saying is that as we rest and as God rested from his works, we can rest in ours. This, this forever rest is available now to us because of what Jesus did for us. Whoever has entered God's rest, whoever has entered God's rest, this is available now and here's why. Notice how he says, for whoever entered God's rest also rested from his works as God did from his. We were talking about how God didn't need a nap. He didn't rest because, man, I'm just spent. I've got nothing left in me. No, he, he rested. He rested because what he had done is enough. God had rested because what he had done is enough. And the author of Hebrews invites us to rest, not because what we have done is enough, but because of what God has done on our behalf is enough. Whoever has entered God's rest also has rested from his works as God did from his. This is what the author of Hebrews is talking about. When he says that we have rested from our works, we are not on the same level of God as God. No, the works that he is talking about that we have rested from are, are this, 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 um, this, this working to be enough uh, in this world and this working to be enough for God. Many of you, I would imagine, when you describe a sense of restlessness, yes, it has to do with just so much activity. I mean, if you have kids, there's just so much going on. Or maybe you have so much going on at work. But ultimately, if we dig deep down into our souls, we will realize that the restlessness that we find in there is because we don't know if we are enough. I don't know if I'm enough. And what the author of Hebrews is saying here is that we can rest from our works because Jesus himself, Jesus himself completed the works for us. Um, Augustine of Hippo puts it this way. He says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest, until they rest in you. You have made us for ourselves, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. The only place that we will ever find rest is in Jesus. And when we say that Jesus bought our rest, this is what he's talking about. This is the second thing. The second thing we pull out is that we enter that rest by trusting Jesus. Hebrews 4.11 says this, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now, on the surface, we, we read this striving, we read this disobedience, and we say, man, I, 
I thought this was a rest that was given to us. I, I thought that Jesus died for us, that we had forgiveness. I thought that it was a work that Jesus did for us and then he gifts to us. And that's true. But when the author of Hebrews says that we need to strive lest we fall by the same disobedience, we need to go back and think about what happened with the wilderness generation. Remember what we talked about a couple of minutes ago? The wilderness generation, the, the Israelites that had seen God do so much, came up to the edge of the promised land and said, God, you did not bring us here to rescue us. You brought us here to kill us. We were safer back in Egypt. We were safer back in slavery. We were, at least we had enough to eat. At least we didn't have this danger, which of course is ridiculous. And so the author of Hebrews notes that they did not enter that promised land because of their disobedience. But it wasn't a disobedience where, man, they just, they just gave it their all and they just fell a little short. Like they, they, maybe, maybe they didn't have the right information or maybe they didn't have the right people helping. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a disobedience where at the core of that was a lack of trust. God had rescued them from the Egyptians. He had rescued them from Pharaoh. He had parted the Red Sea. He had provided miraculous food and water for them. He had brought them through so much, and they came to the edge of the promised land and said, nope, God's not going to do it this time. He didn't bring me here to rescue us. Don't we, don't we do this to God? I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, just the fact that you've come to a point where God has rescued you, where he's revealed Jesus to you, where he has softened your heart, to surrender your life to him. And then you look back you know, and, and, and you see, yes, things have been difficult, but, but as you pray and, and as, you, as you live your life and, and as you trust God, you can see all the things that God has brought you through. And then sometimes we come just to the very edge and we say, not this time. Not this time. God has not brought us here to rescue us. God has brought us here to murder us. This is what the author of Hebrews is talking about. And he says we need to strive to enter that rest, not because we need to do certain things, not because there's a list of things that we have to do in order to be good enough for God, but because there are so many voices in this world that are screaming at us that Jesus is not enough, that Jesus will not rescue us, that Jesus did not really die on the cross and rise from the dead. And it's not just voices like people, but it's also circumstances, I mean, I mean, when we are not going through anything difficult at the time and, and, and we read these passages, we say, of course, I can see how God would bring me through that. But when you are in the midst of a struggle, when you, when you don't know what's going to happen to your son or daughter, when you're not sure what's going to happen with your job, when you are in the midst of, of a difficult marriage, or when all you want is, is to find somebody and, and, and just to be able to fall in love forever, and you just feel so alone, when you're in the midst of those things, it is difficult. You have to strive to push everything aside and trust what Jesus has done for you. And friends, here's the heart of it. Here's the heart of it. We enter that, trust by, that rest by trusting Jesus because of what he has done for you. Um, the author of Hebrews goes on to chapter 9. After this section, he actually moves on to talking about how Jesus is the high priest who died on the cross for you and me. Uh, in, instead of bringing the old system of sacrifices to God again and again and again, Jesus himself presented himself as a sacrifice, a once-for-all sacrifice. And in chapter 9, verse 11, the author of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, 
talking about the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. The idea is this. Trust is difficult, but Jesus is worth our trust. And here's, here's the heart. I imagine that many of us came into this room not really knowing if we are enough for God. Have you ever been there? Have you ever stood before God and even if you've followed Jesus from a young age, even if you've understood what Jesus has done for you, there are so many times where Satan can whisper into our minds and into our hearts and say, you're not enough for God. And we can sit here and we can wonder, am I enough? And this stirs up this restlessness because we don't understand fully who we are in Jesus. Let me tell you this, you are enough for God, and not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is, because he stood in your place, and he said, you are worth dying for. Friends, as we've talked about rest, as we've talked about Sabbath, as we've talked about all of these things, none of it makes a lick of difference unless we understand who holds us now and who holds our future. You are enough in Jesus. The reason why Jesus is the only one who can provide the rest that you crave is because you are enough in Jesus. This is why there are two warnings in this passage, the beginning and the end. In verse 1, he starts off, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. And I love that he says, let us fear. This isn't something we're on our own. This is something that we do together. And then at the end, he says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. It's not a list of things to do. It's not, I hope I get it right. It's pushing everything else aside and trusting Jesus at all costs because he is the only one that can provide the rest that we crave. We are enough because we are enough in Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean that we just take a nap, right? It means that we wake up every day and we set our minds and we set our hearts on the Jesus who died for us and who loves us. Um, Jesus puts it this way, actually, in um, Matthew chapter 11, when he talks about rest, um, starting in verse 28, it'll be up on the screen. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Anybody feel that way? I labor and I'm heavy laden. I mean, I'm weighed down. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, this is weird because he says, oh, I'm going to give you rest. And usually, like, like if, if, if I'm hiking with my kids, and I love hiking with my kids, but, but it's a mess hiking with five kids, all right, because they're going at different paces, and sometimes we want to rest. And, and if I say, okay, it's time to rest, in their mind, what they think is, okay, finally, it's time to sit down, drink some water, and stop. But Jesus says, come to me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Rest does not mean that we stop. Rest means that we find our ultimate purpose in Jesus. Not because we are earning anything, but because what he has already done for us is enough. Um, 
the last couple of weeks, I've seen this a little bit in, in my oldest daughter, um, Bethany. She took her first AP class, and, and if you know anything about AP classes, um, at the end of those AP classes, you have to take a test. And man, she was like stressed out. She was stressed, and rightfully so. This is hard stuff. Like, I'm looking at her stuff, and I was like, high school is a lot harder than when I was in high school, okay? Um, and so she is going through all these things, and finally she takes the test, and school ends. And you know what she's doing now? She's writing a book. That is, that is hard work. That is hard work, but she's loving it because she's not trying to earn anything. She's just doing it for fun because she enjoys it. This is a little picture of who we are in Jesus. It doesn't mean that we stop. It means that when we find our purpose in Jesus, when we stop feeling we have to earn his love, then it's all the more easier to serve him. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, what does this have to do with rest? What does this have to do with Sabbath? Again, it doesn't have to do with whether we can cut grass or not on Sundays. What this means is how do we rest in who God created us to be? If we don't understand that we are enough in Jesus, none of this makes any sense. So the first question I want to ask you is this. What or who is robbing your rest? What is robbing your rest? Like, what, what is literally stealing your rest? And I'm not talking about sleep. Like, if you're like, man, I got an infant, that infant is robbing my rest. Yeah, I get that, okay? Infants rob your rest. But, but that's not specifically what I'm getting at. What is, what is stealing your rest? How are you restless? How do you, what, what lies do you believe? Or what is causing you to think, man, I am, I am not enough in Jesus? Is it worry? Is it that, man, if I, if I don't take hold of these things now, if I don't live in the future and try to affect the future, if I'm not always on guard, if I'm not always thinking about this, if I'm not always worrying about it, man, the root of that is I'm not enough in Jesus. Is it, is it believing that if you stop, that if you don't keep doing what you're doing at work, if you don't, stop, if you don't keep putting in 60, 70 hours a week, if you don't keep going, keep going, keep going, you aren't going to be enough. The root of that is, I'm not enough in Jesus. Bitterness? Unforgiveness? The root of that is, I'm, I'm not enough in Jesus. Whatever it is, name what is robbing that rest. Name it. The second thing is this. I want you to rebel against it. I want you to rebel against it. And this is the fun part. Sabbath is really a rebellion against the, the circumstances of our world. Sabbath is a rebellion against the circumstances of our world. Right? When we look at our present circumstances, when we look at what's going on, and we say, I'm going to rest in Jesus, and I'm going to act that out by physical rest. I'm going to take a day, or I'm going to take a period of time. What we are doing is we are rebelling against the circumstances that we see around us. We rebel against the things that are robbing our rest. And when you really think about it, all worship is a form of rebellion, right? Some of you walked into this room, and you aren't sure that you believe what you sang, and yet you sang it anyways. Some of you woke up this morning, and you barely made it here today. All worship is an act of rebellion, rebelling against the things that say, Jesus isn't really worth your praise. Other forms of worship. Generosity is, is, is a rebellion against this world who says you have to hold on to everything you can because if you don't take it for yourself, no one else will. No, it's a rebellion against that. And Sabbath is a rebellion against our circumstances. Whatever is causing us internally 
or externally, to not be able to rest. And so whatever it is, if it's worry, man, do something you love, even if your heart's not in it. I'm not talking about like the kind of Christian world where we put on a nice face and we say, everything's great, live in the victory. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying rebel against your worry or your anxiety by playing. Anne Lamont put it this way. She said this, rest and laughter are the most spiritual and subversive acts of all. Rebel against it. Rebel against it. Now, we've been talking about this summer renewal guide for the last uh, number of weeks, and this is the last week of this series, so this is the last time we're going to talk about this. If you're new here today, we've got these out in the lobby for you. Basically what this is, this is a guide to help you put into practice everything we've talked about the last four weeks this summer. And, and, and unless you think, man, this is going to just be something that's adding on to my list and I've got to write it out. And I've got to... No, listen, there's a section in here that tells you how to say a healthy no this summer. Right? This, isn't, this isn't just about, here, do all these extra things. This is about live into everything that we've talked about over the last four weeks for this summer. I want you to take this. If you haven't done this yet, I want you to take this. They're going to be out in the wel- uh, on the welcome desk out there. We'll have plenty for you there. Go pick one up and, and fill this out. This is an act of rebellion against our circumstances. Because I wonder what it would look like for us as a, as a community of followers of Jesus to actually take seriously what God calls us to do. Not because it's some sort of law or not because it's some sort of rule, but because we know who God is, we know who he created us to be, and we know who holds our future. We know that we are enough in Jesus, and so we can rest. I mean, if we're honest, we in this culture swim in this current of hurry, and doing more and more and more, and having our kids do more and more and more, that sometimes just doesn't make any sense. But ultimately, ultimately, when we rest, we proclaim that I know who I am in Jesus, and that Jesus is enough. Now, Tim Keller um, is a pastor in New York who passed away a number of weeks ago. Uh, if you've never heard the name of Tim Keller, um, just, just Google him and, and look up a sermon. He's an amazing pastor and church planner and leader of leaders. And he says this about Sabbath. He says, The Sabbath is a taste of the eternal rest that we will experience in God's presence. It is a foretaste of the future where all our striving and toil will cease and we will find ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction in him. I want you to leave this up here for a moment. This is what I want us to leave this series with. We rest because we understand who holds our future. We rest because we understand who God is here in the present. We rest because we know what Jesus has done for us. And when we rest, we understand that what we're doing is we're acting out who we are in Jesus now. And who will we be for eternity? If this is something you've never considered, and I invite you this summer to take up this rest, not because it's something that we have to do, but because it's who God created you to be. And it's a declaration that you are enough in Jesus. Let me pray. God, If I'm honest, there are days when I wake up and I don't truly believe that I'm enough in Jesus. I might say it with my words, but through my, my actions and through my hurry, 
through believing that uh, if, if I don't do everything, no one else will and everything's going to fall apart. Through my own worry and my own anxiety. God, through my own bitterness. The ways that I, I numb that restlessness. God, there are so many times where I confess that I declare that I'm not enough in Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that you would give each of us a sense of rest. Not just stopping, not just a nap. But God, for those of us who came into this room and don't know who we are in Jesus, that we would truly be able to stop and rest in who he is. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Father, that he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. God, you are a God of forgiveness and a God of mercy and a God of justice. And all of that, all of that is expressed through what Jesus did on the cross for us. So, Father, would we rest in that? And as we take part in communion here in the next couple of minutes, would we be reminded that the work is finished, that we could rest from ours? Because Jesus has completed the work on the cross. For that we are grateful and we pray these things in his name. Amen.